It's time for Recruiting Better with me, Ben Browning. For ambitious recruiters, it's never been tougher to get seen as a trusted advisor and true partner by your candidates and clients. Join me each week as I address your challenges head on, answering questions from recruitment consultants and business leaders. If you're looking for inspiration or insights to help you make more placements, win more new business, find more candidates, or replace long hours with smart moves, then stay tuned. Hey, and thanks for joining another episode of the Recruiting Better podcast. Today, I'm joined by Will Allred, and Will is the co-founder and CEO of Lavender.ai. That's a browser extension that helps you send better emails, easily perfecting your tone, your sentiment, your formality, and clarity to ensure you get more replies and start better conversations. Will's a big pizza fan and creating some amazing TikTok content right now too. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, I am a big New York pizza fan. I I noticed that you recently spent 48 hours in New York without getting a pizza, so um... It was a drought that should not be repeated. <laughs> <laughs> An impressive record. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for joining us. And I feel like I should be wearing my purple wizard robe because, as you know, I'm a, a big fan of the stuff that you guys do, big fan of the content. I haven't quite gone to the stage of getting a lavender tattoo, but um, but maybe after this interview, who, who knows? Yeah, no, and it, it's, it's always... Um... Yeah, you think about someone getting a tattoo of your brand, particularly when, like, you know, at the time we were a company that hadn't raised any capital. We're just, you know, doing our thing. And, yeah, to see somebody do that, it's just, uh, it's humbling, that for sure. It's a big piece of ink as well. I've seen the photo. I know it's uh, yeah. taking a of pace on your, your on your new website. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not a it's not a tiny little uh, little commitment that they've made there. So um, yeah, no, Sims Sims had been a customer for a long time, and he had joked about it. And yeah, we let him do joking. Uh, <laughs> and then like one day he just messages me and Will, and he's like, "I'm doing it on Friday." And then, like, I had missed the message actually. And then it was the day of, and he's like, I've had it in. <laughs> and, like, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that is. Yeah, no, I, it was one of those, like, well, obviously you get like free for life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What else, what else can we do? Yeah. I, um, I talk a lot about loyalty with, with, with recruiters, right? And the way that we build relationships and the fact that loyalty is such a big part of it. But, I never even considered that that was a possibility. So, um, so yeah, you guys are clearly doing something right. And look, yeah. as you know, I'm a big fan of the work you're doing. It feels to me um, as though you're really capturing a moment and a bit of a movement. It feels to me as though with the investment as well, uh, Lavender raised $13.2 million for the work that you're doing. And yeah. it feels like you're on a mission, you know? So I'm really interested, perhaps, if we can start there for... You should share a little bit about why you think it's so important right now that that salespeople and recruiters in particular evolve their emails. Yeah. So if you think about the transition that happened in 2020, we were in this world of you could kind of get away with sending whatever. And 2020 was really this catalyst where folks went remote and people really started to pay attention to the emails that they were getting. 
And so you started to see trends in data related to email, particularly like I think of length as a big one, where when we started, the length of an email, particularly a cold one, did not matter. You could write a long email, you could write a short one. As long as it was you know, relevant, you'd probably get somewhat of a response. Uh, but people started to recognize like, although this isn't something I'd actually want to read. And it got worse because the amount of email that went out the door started to increase. And so that problem just became much more obvious. Um, and so we came onto the scene with the, a tool that was really focused around you know, improving a lot of that clarity in your writing, but also really focusing and honing that message towards the person that you're sending it to. So um, giving research tools as well as editing tools to help people write a better email. Now that's since evolved. Um, if you think about what it takes to write an email, it's um, the research aspect, which we nailed from the start, the content creation aspect, going from blank page to actually getting something on a page, um, which wasn't a huge issue when we started because most people had templates that we could edit. Um, now we're taking either like the research that we find and we can start an email on that, or we could take a few bullet points and start an email. Um, editing, which has always been our bread and butter. And then the last piece is like learning, testing, iteration. So we've got a dashboard that really um, brings a, a clear view of what's working within your email content. Yeah, I hear you. And, and I love, as a user, I love that a customer, I love the combination of those tools, right? I love the fact that you not only get direct feedback as you're writing the email on ways you can improve it, and the fact that it for me is great, it gives you that scoring mechanism. It gives you a real scorecard to see where you can improve. Also, as you say, with the personalization tool there as well to really pull data from people's social channels to drop into the email and really kind of structure it around, you know, that personalization at speed becomes so much easier. We've got a question actually from the community about that I'd like to ask you later. Sure. Um, and then we've, and then you've got the piece around kind of uh, the readability and the, the 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 response the response rate and the open rates as well. It's all kind of all in one place. It for me, it's it's, it's kind of revolutionised things, and I'm really happy to, as I say, have you on the podcast to point recruiters in your direction to to get their hands on this yeah. tool. Well, and you know, you raise a round of capital, and let me tell you, you start to become very familiar with recruiting outreach. Um, so you reached out about um, jumping on the podcast. One, I loved your outreach. I thought it was super creative. It wasn't, hey, Will, do you want to jump on my podcast? It was like, hey, have you thought about recruiters and like what they might be thinking when it comes to outreach? Like it was such a, like, you know, it got me curious. It got me to respond. It got me to start a conversation with you. Versus I get a lot of podcast invitations and I don't respond to all of them, right? Uh, and so, um, yeah, thinking about this topic in particular, it's something I'm seeing a lot of. And so I've got a lot of opinions on it, but also I, I just enjoyed the way you, you started this whole combo. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And look, this comes from everything that we do in the community. So the Recruiting Better podcast is all about feeding back into that community, a community of recruiters who are genuinely ambitious to improve the way they approach things. Business development is a huge element of that. And email yeah. is a huge constituent within that. And, 
you know, I think we both have shared the experience that of, of sending quite a lot of relatively bad, certainly compared to what we what we can see Drew Lavender's data now, right? Yeah, just thinking out loud, as I think about a lot of the outreach that I've gotten, I think there's like a few things that I could provide to recruiters out there that might be really helpful. So as you mentioned, we raised 13.2. Big piece of that is bringing in new people, right? So like it makes total sense that a recruiter's reaching out to me. Um, David Sachs, a notable venture capitalist over at Craft Ventures, put together a stage-by-stage of company analysis of what a typical org chart looks like and like mm. what roles they're looking to fill out. If you're a recruiter, look at that <laughs> because like it actually starts to fill in the gaps for you as far as like, okay, given their stage, given what they're trying to do within said press release, okay, I can kind of think about what they're probably thinking when it comes to staffing up the company, right? So like for us, like the big things that we're staffing up right now, like engineering, and like you could probably speak to that because it's all kind of obvious from stage that we're at, like who's on the team today. And I don't see a lot of recruiters doing that, right? It's like you either get the blanket template of like, hey, here's like 4,000 resumes that I've got here. Which one looks interesting to you? Don't send that. Please don't send that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I've just, I, I hit delete on that as soon as it lands in my inbox. Uh, the, the other ones you get are like, hey, I've got this engineer from XYZ company and I think they'd be a good fit for you. Tell me why you think they're a good fit. Like, They'll just like tout their resume because it might be impressive, but like as much as like I've responded to a few of them and it's never gone anywhere. It never goes anywhere. And so like the the key things that's that are missing from these messages are like truly an understanding of like what we're looking for, why we need someone like this, and like taking that time to truly show that you understand the person there. It doesn't need to be like a crazy long message. Like say you're taking that same approach of like, hey, I've got this engineer from, you know, Google. And I think they'd be a great fit for your company, right? Just be like, hey, I've been talking to this really awesome engineer over at Google. They were there at the early stages. Um, they're looking to get back into startups. And I thought their skill set would be particularly well suited for what you're up to that's going to start a much better conversation because it has context around things that like I might actually care to have a conversation with them about. It's not just them flouting a resume. In the yeah. world of sales, it's talking to features as opposed to like talking to me and my problems, the things that I care about. Um, so, and this is, yeah, I know. I, I, I hear you completely. And, and this is a really big part of what I share with recruiters, right? Which is, there's the $10,000 problem, which is fixing this hire. And then there's the $10 million problem, which is how do you actually think about hiring? How do you make sure that your hiring strategy is not only able to define who you really need for your business, but also able to define exactly how you're going to position that in a market? Well, you've been through the process, right? You've been through funding. So you know what it's like pre-funding when you're maybe trying to build a team it's very different from from when you've got a little bit of money to spend. And I know that money doesn't go quite as far as people think, right? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but also if we're trying to solve this problem of a hire we lose the client because the or that we lose the employer because the employer is worried about okay how do i as a business attract people away from google attract people away from apple attract people away from wherever else they're going how do i bring them into my business how how do i compete for talent so not only how do i define that requirement then how do i sell that opportunity and then lastly how do i run a process that helps me really um intuitively pick the best person from a mix of really similarly you know comparable people and my 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 common message to recruiters is the problem isn't that your the employer you're talking to doesn't believe they can find somebody it's just yeah. that they don't believe the process is going to be as easy as they want it to be so when we say when i say recruiting better i mean let's build a recruitment process that is better than anything they've experience before that enables them to consistently attract and select the right caliber of talent for their organization. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple pieces to that, right? Which is, I don't necessarily know that I have a problem with my process. And so you kind of have to point it out to me and bring that to the light because as a founder, right? Like I've got 7,000 fires burning at any given point in time. And yeah, our recruiting process might not be the biggest one that I'm thinking about right now. It should be, right? The people who I bring on are naturally the people who are going to take us to the next stage. But like, I might not be thinking about like, oh, I never really thought about formalizing the like interview process and thinking about like standardizing it so that I'm not um, <laughs> completely biasing who I end up deciding to move in, right? Uh, the or like creating a scorecard um, to like evaluate talent and these kinds of things. And so you have to think about the the questions you ask. You have to think about how you pose your understanding of their current situation. Yeah, you know, that really illuminates these problems and makes it. Hey, I this may or may not be a priority right now, but it should be. Um, yeah. So yeah. If we if we reached out and said. Hey, Will, see you guys have got funding. Love what you're doing with the product. How certain are you that your hiring strategy is going to deliver the caliber of hire that you want within the budget range that you have available over your next five key hires? Yeah. Would that maybe be enough to start a conversation? Maybe. Um, I think you could ratchet up the urgency on that. You can mm -hmm. say, hey, Will, I see you post a lot on LinkedIn. I imagine as you go to hire you get a lot of candidates. Are those actually the candidates that you yeah, basically pose the idea of like, are those the candidates that are the most excited about getting a job with you? Or are those the candidates that are, um, you know, best fit for the job? Yeah. And like, maybe nod that like, yeah, while sourcing might feel easy for you, um, yeah, the, the candidates that you really need are going to be harder to find mm -hmm. and like point to this illusion that like you think it's easy you're wrong and like you can't do it without me kind of thing yeah, yeah. in reality like probably could but like my time's probably better spent in other places right i think one of the things that that folks oversell particularly when it comes to services recruiting would be an example of this 
is they oversell on what they're providing. They oversell on like, our process is the snazziest, cleanest thing ever. In reality, one of the core reasons that I'm buying is just to offload it from my brain. <laughs> yeah, It's the, like, the there's some peace of mind to that, right? That like, okay, I trust that you know how to do your thing, but like, I just don't have time to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, that's like a big piece of it, right? And like, if you can speak to that understanding, <laughs> they're like, you know, hey, like I think about like marketing agencies where they're trying to like sell you on like their methodology, this, that, and the other. In reality, they're just looking to like offload some of this like work that they're not sure that they want to internalize yet. And this is exactly it. And I think the point that you make here is also about how we understand where emails sit in the kind of sales process, the kind of almost the ecosystem of business development. Because we've got this idea that historically, and certainly I've got, as I say, with the example that I shared with you, you previously, we've got several paragraphs of information about who this company is, who this recruiter is, how much background they've got, how big their network is, who the, which clients they've worked for and with, and, and all of that, that kind of information saying, look, believe me, yeah, it's informative. But from reading yeah. your content, being informative is literally the last thing you want to do. So, right. yeah, we, so what do we want to do instead? Then, if informative is the last thing, what's the what's the first thing? What is email? What is email for right now? So, yeah, we analyze millions of emails every month across twenty thousand plus inboxes. So, I can tell you, literally, definitively, an informative tone, any whiff of it throughout your email, or sounds like you're talking at someone and telling them something is going to reduce your chance of a response by 26%. Like you're just, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So like this idea of informing, if you're asking yourself, why are you reaching out? Well, I want to inform them about my recruiting services and what I can offer them. I want to inform them about this candidate and how good of a fit they are. That's not it, right? A cold email, the purpose of it is an invitation to a conversation. You're starting dialogue, not telling them enough so that they can make a decision, right? They're not even close to making a decision when you reach out cold. And that's the same story for the follow-ups too. I find that people, like, I can teach them everything they need to know about cold email and then they like, <laughs> they throw it out the window as soon as they start following up. They're like, oh, they clearly didn't have enough info. And I'm thinking to myself, name the like the last three people that cold emailed you. No idea. You you don't think about these people after they land in your inbox and you ignore their email. And so that cold email is not too dissimilar from the follow-up email or the emails after, right? So it's um it's this like shift in mentality from, hey, I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to tell you everything you need to know so that you can make a truly informed decision to, okay, what's a little breadcrumb that I can put out that could kickstart that conversation, that dialogue with that person. And it's okay if you're not including all of the context necessary. It's just because you can always follow up with it, right? (laughs) You can always like lay out a little bit of like a breadcrumb trail back to the original email, but you're just trying to start a conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. We want to start that conversation by provoking curiosity to really get attention, isn't it? I mean, an email at this stage in the sales cycle is just about, okay, can I have your attention so that we can start this conversation? Yeah. If I'm thinking about recruiting in particular, it's it's two things. One, do you understand where I'm at? If you can show me that, you've established loads of credibility. The The second piece is you can back that up with, yeah, we've done this before. Um, I think that's like one core approach. The other is like, I understand where you're at and like, I've got the perfect candidate. That's the other approach, which would be like slight variation, but like both examples, you have to understand their current situation, exactly how they're thinking through problems, how they might be approaching the problem differently, um, like any sort of substitutes that they might have in place, right? Like the, those would be the questions that I would have in my head. And you know, it's almost like if you're if you're like telling me about a, a deal that you're working on, I'm asking you questions like, oh, cool. Like what, what are they doing right now? Like why is that... Um, why does that need to change? Like, mm-hmm. what about it is a problem? What's the root of that problem, right? And you start like digging in, you realize like, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did about, um, you know, this deal that I thought was really going to be like a shoe in, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the same thing with prospecting. And this all kind of comes back to this notion of like sales strategy and like discovery as a step in a process. And like discovery is not a step in a process. It's something you do on your own while you're prospecting. It's something you do as you're ongoing through those conversations. You're always trying to learn more, ask questions because you might unearth more opportunity. You might um, unearth a potential roadblock, but you also might like find that you really truly understand them specifically and you can start a really highly qualified conversation and move them to closed much faster because you showed up with a clear point of view on their business and what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that resonates so much in terms of having those conversations. And for recruiters, it's always about that. I think often, and I don't know whether recruiters know this, but um, the industry, the skills that the industry builds are really revered across across the sales environment because that okay. level... That level of EQ with emotional intelligence and ability to manage kind of both ends of the sale where you've got people at both ends is is a really incredible skill. And so the more we can use that and the more we can think about how we understand people's problems and bake that into our emails, it seems intuitive to me that's going to start more quality conversations. And yet somehow when we sit down to write an email, we go back to school and we write a letter to our prospect or to our, to our ideal client telling them all about why we should why should why they should trust us or or even worse right why they shouldn't ignore us yeah uh if there's any recruiters listening who are on the job hunt themselves i think about the translation between <laughs> sales and recruiting all the time and if you think about the like classic approach for a recruiter right you're like oh check out this engineer from google right you're like touting their like where they worked well, similar in the world of sales, look at this like sales rep who worked at this big, sexy company that like crushed it. Was that the rep or was that the seller, right? You start to like realize like 
well, maybe the product like pulled that person through and not necessarily like what anything the rep was doing. Recruiting, yeah, not to like disparage an entire industry, but like it's a bit of a commodity. And like if you're good at that role, if you're good at placing the right people in the right roles, that's a skill set on both sides of the coin, right? You're selling the employer on the employee and you're selling the employee on the employer. That shows that you can flex, you can pivot, and like you can really connect with people on a personal level and understand like the intricacies of where that person fits in a business. Those skills are so translatable when it comes to sales. Standing out in your sector is becoming harder than ever. Lots of people are making noise, saturating the market with the same old drill tones. So if you want to stand out, it's time to start a podcast. Yes. There's loads of podcasts out there, but how many of them are actually in your niche? Do any of them speak to your perspective on the market? I didn't think so. Podcasting not only sets you apart as an innovative thinker in your market, it's great content for repurposing. Here at Search That, we help you become the voice of your industry. We can stretch your content and turn it into a content goldmine, leveling up your personal brands and recruitment marketing in the process. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, to find out more, head over to searchthat.co.uk forward slash podcasts. We've got a question. I've got a few questions from the audience, actually, or from, from the community that um, I wanted to share with you. Um, and one of them is specifically about that question of personalization. Okay. So it's really about, you. I think you mentioned at one point that you had sent six hyper-personalized emails in, in eight minutes. And I'm really intrigued. And, and the question from, from Jimmy was, how do you go about personalizing emails kind of at volume without it just taking forever? Yeah, I think there's there's a few things there. I think people like six emails in eight minutes, right? That's an example of list segmentation making my life a lot easier. Um, so when you say list segmentation? Yeah, list segmentation. So if I'm reaching out to founders that just raised a Series A and yeah, exist within the following industry and they're hiring for the following types of roles. Like you can start to like really narrow down the like reason that you're going to reach out to them. Um, versus if I just put the general population into like my outreach campaign and like I don't necessarily know exactly why I'm going to reach out to them when I start, right? But the point to both of those is what I'm trying to find is a reason for why I'm reaching out. So scale really comes from process and getting to that why as quickly as possible. So if I run some like really clean list segmentation, right? So say I'm reaching out to my potential prospect and I think about I'm reaching out to sales leaders. They could be in a number of scenarios. I don't know. I'm going to start narrowing that list down. Let's do sales leaders in New York City. Let's do sales leaders with a sales team between 10 to 25 um, sales reps within that um, particular hub. We'll do um, sales team growth within the last year is like really high. I'm basically going through like a sales navigator, like search list, right? Uh, let's talk to sales leaders that have been in the sales development role before. Um, let's 
Uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe maybe we sprinkle in uh, some technographics, so technology that they use. So um, we're talking to sales leaders that use sales lockdown. I've got a very narrow view of a sales leader. Wait, let's add one more. Let's do sales leaders that change jobs in the last 90 days. So now like, I truly have a like crystallized, like boiled down list of individuals. I could probably send those people the exact same email. And like it would land the exact same. Uh, but the the point is, is like since I've narrowed down that list so much, the reasons why I'm going to reach out to that person have also really narrowed. And when I go to do my outreach, well, I can basically build a research workflow that works for that list. So I know that I'm going to scan their LinkedIn experience and I'm going to say, oh, where were they a rep, right? I'm going to like look at the contrast between different types of companies they worked for. Maybe that tells me a little bit something about them. Um, so like if they went from a large um, company like ADP within the HR space, which is like a big payroll company, into a more like SMB style company of like Gusto, that's going to tell me a lot about how their mindset is approaching that role. But I've also got some other things to work with. Then I, you know, jump over to the company website, check out the pricing page. Like, I'll go through like a list and I go through it in a specific order. That's where you can get a lot of that scale really fast. And you'll notice you start using some of the same words, phrases on repeat, and that's okay. Um, but that research process is really streamlined to say, okay, I saw this, made me think this problem exists. And based off of that problem, here's how I think I could solve it. Mm -hmm. I hear you. So it sounds as though that segmentation element, that taking your list, and you've given some really clear examples there, but I think you know the, the audience here is right across all different markets and all different locations, but it's a case of finding from the sounds of it five or six different criteria that you can say these people are all kind of the same by geography, by sector, by the kind of tech that they use, by their um, overall kind of background or the overall kind of product maybe that they yeah. they produce or they sell. And so you can then create a message that really speaks to those particular elements. You can build that into your message. But that also, that segmentation also helps you do, a re do research on who you're reaching out to because you can, as you say, look at different parts of their website, look at their LinkedIn profile, all that. Yeah. All that research you're, through. You're doing a lot of the research ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what that does is it streamlines the like eventual research when you're in the workflow. Uh, sure. But like, you know, why or like what you're looking for truly depends on like what problem you're trying to solve. Uh, for recruiting, you know, it could be you look for press releases. It could be you look for open job boards. By the way, all of these things that I'm referencing are things that you can actually just find in our product. Um, and so like you don't even have to leave the inbox to go find them. But the idea is like you're looking for, you know, signals that state to you, okay, based off of this, I can, you know, state a clear hypothesis of we can probably help. I hear you. And that tool is great. As I say, I love the way you pull information through. There are four things that I think I've learned most from using Link, uh, from using Lavender. Sorry, uh, and those four things are: my emails were too long. Okay, my emails were too complex. 
my emails talked too much about me and my emails didn't include or at least my emails included too many ideas in the same in the same kind of message those for me were the kind of i guess the four big takeaways or have been the four big takeaways of using the product is there anything else are those the are those the key four that you typically see is there anything else that you're particularly learning or you've learned from the data that's really key yeah and i've been i've been harping on you know having that clear like personalized point of view for why you're reaching out and that's because mm-hmm. the data shows that's going to drive twice the amount of response compared to your automated template uh but the the points that you're bringing up it's uh really good learning opportunities because people don't realize when i say short how short i mean uh, how short how short do you mean will so when we first started it didn't really matter how long your email was and most emails we're finding now sit somewhere between 125 and 150 words and if you just take that down to like 25 to 50 words you're going to see about 68% more replies, uh, which is wildly different. Um, you kind of see reply rates fall off a cliff after about 75 words. It basically just like, and then like you're down in the, the trenches forever. Uh, and the reason being is people just, they don't spend a lot of time reading email. They spend about 10 seconds on average reading your note. What? Okay, 10 seconds. Yeah, 10 seconds. And if you think about like the average reading speed, that's like 40 words. So uh-huh. it makes uh-huh. sense. If they read the entirety of your message, of course you're more likely to get a response. Uh, the other piece with that 10 second window is how complicated is the message to absorb, right? Mm-hmm. Question one is, did I read it? So personalization probably motivates them to read the whole thing. The, the brevity of it makes it easy for them to read the whole thing. Then the complexity of the message, that's the question of did they actually understand what they read in a 10-second window? So what we're finding is most emails, like 70% plus, are written at or beyond a 10th grade reading level. So you're taking the like syllable count across words, sentences, paragraphs, and you're calculating out like what the grade level of the person reading that message would need to be. Uh, in order and to- just for the UK audience, by grade level, you mean kind of like the we we think of them as school years, so it's yeah, yeah school years, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, and for folks in the states, it's fifth grade. I don't know what the the corollary is for, mm-hmm. UK, but uh, I'm sure somebody does. But <laughs> yeah, um, but like the um the the notion of going from tenth to fifth you're going to see 67% more replies, which means you're using really choppy sentence structures, small paragraphs, and words that are like shorter than you're probably comfortable with, right? Like uh-huh. recruiting is a long word. Tell me about it. It, it hits my lavender schools all the time. Yeah. And so you think about like, how do you, um, you either need to replace it with a word like, hiring um or you need to quarantine it with like other small words like um i think about personalization is one that we kind of can't really get around in a lot of use cases and so we surround it with little words we, we say like yes we make personalization easy 
all of the words around it are like one syllable. And so it's isolated. And so it doesn't become this like visually cumbersome thing to read. Uh, and so it's a really weird writing style to get into, especially for, yeah, you think about how you're taught to write in school. It's like the opposite. <laughs> Your teacher probably like throw it out. Um, and so it's, um, it's a new way to think about it, but it, um, it's, it puts a focus less on you being seen and feeling smart and more on making sure that you are understood. And when it comes to being understood, are commas the enemy? <laughs> yeah. So one of the core drivers for that email grade are is the length of the sentence. So um, if you're thinking about commas, commas are going to draw out the length of your sentence. And so what we find is when you use more commas in your writing, you are reducing your chance of getting a response. Um, so like an easy trick to go from 10th towards fifth, it's not gonna get you there because your word choices still matter. Um, the An easy path to start getting there is to delete the commas in your writing. And what that means is you think about comma and, you just replace it with um, what we call in the states a period. I think y'all call it a full stop. Um, you just replace that. And what it does is it creates this choppy sentence structure, um, but it's easier to scan for the reader and thusly easier for them to understand it. So putting everything that we learn at school to one side, remembering to write emails that aren't about informing the people we're writing to, provoking curiosity, creating conversation starters, inviting people into that conversation, and also looking not to uh, impress with the complexity of our language. We're yeah. stripping the words down to the easiest, most digestible words, one syllable, two syllables where possible, thinking about hiring instead of, instead of recruiting or um, getting good people on board or whatever that looks like, maybe shorter. Yeah. Removing commas, getting that word count right down. All of the purpose of that is because the data shows, and you guys have run data on on millions of emails. I, I you, you may know the number by now, right? But, but yeah, over twenty million a month at this point. Over twenty million emails a month. You've got the data that shows that doing those things increases reply rate exponentially compared to what most recruiters and most salespeople's competitors are doing right now. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting, right? Back to this question I got about scale. Um, if you think about the things that you can adjust to improve your results, your results are a simple equation. It is the number of emails you send multiplied by the reply rate. <laughs> and so if you think about what's going to have a linear effect on your yeah, results, you can only send so many emails per day, particularly before Gmail's spam locker takes you out. Um, and so the the true like changing factor, the exponential factor is that conversion rate on those emails where mm. you go from one to 2% to you start to see 10%, you start to see 20%. The average across our user base is a 20.5% reply rate. And you think about that and you think about like how many fewer emails you have to send 
<laughs> on a daily basis in order to like hit your results targets. All of a sudden the game kind of changes when uh, we started working with Twilio. Um, Twilio's team went through a layoff and even with 11% less staff, they still saw about 60% more meetings booked. And so you think about yourself as a recruiter, what are you going to do with that extra time on your hands when like your emails are driving all that extra results because, you know, you're thinking about, you know, writing email a whole lot less because you're just already driving the results that you need to get out of that channel. And so now you can start thinking about doing more research, which then multiplies the rate at you each could get replies. You can start to prep for those like first calls, right? You can start to improve your chances of conversion at different points in the funnel versus just that one. Um, so, And this takes us right the way back to the start of the conversation, right? Which is, do recruiters nail the right problems? Do they understand the problems that they're solving? And if we say that with the right approach to email outreach, you can be relatively confident of achieving a one in five response rate to your emails, the question then is, are you nailing the right problems? And if you're nailing the right problems and you're writing emails that generate responses, then you're one step closer, as you say, to booking those meetings and to getting those roles to work on and putting yourself in in the position that we all want to be in, right? Which is working with the clients we choose to work with and only taking on board the, the, the roles that we really want to fill. Hundred percent. This has been uh, this has been awesome. Well, is there anything that you think we've missed, not including the conversation, that would really help recruiters right now? We've talked about personalization. We've talked about email structure in terms of, uh, or at least in terms of complexity, length, uh, and and getting that kind of reply. Is there anything we've we've not touched on that you think is really relevant right now? Um, I think. One of the things that I think could be really helpful is adopt a more give first mentality. Um, okay. The reason those emails where you're like, hey, I've got a candidate with XYZ experience that's looking for a job. The reason that works is because you're bringing something to the table, right? If you're going to bring something to the table with me, be like, hey, like maybe you bring a framework for like standardizing your interview process. Or maybe you bring a just simple request of like, hey, you know, I imagine you're starting to scale up engineering right now. What are some core skill sets that you're looking for? I'll go scan my network to see if I can bring you someone, right? That's such a simple message, but it all it says is like, yeah, of course, like there's the obligation of like there's strings attached, but like I'm just taking a bias for action for like, okay, I'm gonna go find someone for you. I don't really care that we have an agreement in place yet. We'll figure that out later, but like, you're already jumping towards like, I want to help. I think that kind of mentality for the recruiting world is um, few and far between. Well, that give piece is a huge thing that I share and that people will be really familiar with me sharing, but that, that piece around recruiters, and you may recognize this, right? Recruiters have insight that founders, that business owners, that business leaders do not have about the talent market right now. Can you imagine how much the talent markets, if you, you know how much the world of email has changed in the last couple of years. Think about how much the world of hiring and the world of talent has changed in the last couple of years. Now, do you want a recruiter on your side who has been working on 
six to 10 vacancies in your niche, in your sector, in your location for the last 18 months where they know every hiring manager, they've spoken to every candidate, they know what candidates want and they know what hiring managers are doing, what works and what doesn't work. Would that insight help you be in a much stronger position to uh, recruit better talent going forward? And when recruiters show that they've got insight and expertise that hiring managers can benefit from, that for me is a real opportunity to uh, to to give and 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 create a bit of a game changing message. Yeah, but frame that right. So think about okay, if I've worked with ten companies that are just like you, and like it makes so much sense, we should talk to each other, right? Show me that you actually understand that status quo that I'm in that you've seen so many times. That's what's going to get me in the door, not. Will, I've worked with 10 of your closest competitors. And like, let me tell you, you know, the talent market is tough these days, right? Be like, Will, like, I've worked with folks in the sales space. I imagine you're thinking about the following thing right now. And like, here's why that's great. But here's the like three gaps that we found from working with X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And then a little closer to say, we fix that worth a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And you literally just say, hey, if recruiting is a challenge that you're looking to bring on some help for, yeah, would love to have a combo. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful stuff, Will. I think it's really easy, particularly for recruiters at the moment, to feel like email isn't working, it isn't landing, it is it it feels a little bit hollow. One of the one of the conversations I had with someone in the community last week was but just sending out these emails feels really hollow. Recruiters aren't getting much of a response. They're being treated, yeah. I think you used the word commodity earlier in the conversation. They're being treated a bit like a commodity and kept at arm's length when they do start to build relationships. Putting a candidate or putting your product in front of a client is, is great, but it only creates the opportunity for a transactional relationship. And the yeah. things that you've shared today and the things that Lavender do will help recruiters do in the way they build and write and even think about email is changing the game for the clients and the contacts of mine that are using it. It's changing the game for the way that I think about emails. And that's why I've been really, really uh, excited to to share your message with the audience. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I want everybody listening to this to take the opportunity to check out Lavender Go and have a look at it. Go and have a play with it right now. It's uh, a great product and it's going to drive your email responses with uh, with facts and data based on what people are doing right now. Thank you. And yeah, the last little thought here is, as you were talking about, it feeling hollow. If you put in the work, it will work. Just you know, take the time to act like you are not a commodity and you will find that people don't treat you like one. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Will. 